Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we are focusing on what Scripture teaches about the first commandment. The first commandment is all about what we love most. And what we worship, it goes to the very core of our being, the depths of our hearts. And because this is true, there might be something in us that doesn't like to hear this message as we study Scripture's teaching about idolatry. After all, listening to God's Word will expose the idols of our hearts. It convicts us of giving people or things the devotion and love that should be reserved for God alone. On top of that, God's Word then calls us to change. It calls us to reorient our lives around God. It commands us to put the Lord as number one in our lives. And this can be hard for our hearts because giving up idols feels like giving up so much. Our hearts are so easily captivated by them. Something in our hearts fears that serving the Lord alone means maybe living a boring and even empty lives, devoid of enjoyment and happiness. The truth is, though, these sorts of sentiments show us just how far we have fallen in our sinful natures. Our sinful hearts have things completely upside down and backwards when it comes to worship. Our thinking has been so corrupted by sin. When we serve idols, we simply are not seeing the world rightly. It's plain and simple. Neither are we seeing the one true God rightly. If we were, we would see how foolish it is to have any other God but the Lord. This afternoon, we'll look at two main things that, by God's grace, will free us from the backwards thinking of idolatry. We'll see how idolatry actually costs us so much and in the end only leaves us empty. And we'll also look at the beauty and the worth of worshiping the Lord alone as God. And so I preach you God's word this afternoon with the following theme, worship the Lord alone for only he can satisfy your soul. We'll look at, first of all, the delusion of idolatry and second of all, soul-satisfying service to God. Now, some time ago, I came across some advice from a Christian author that went like this. Here are seven ways to ruin your life in your 20s. Number one, do whatever you want. Number two, live beyond your means. Three, feed an addiction. Four, run with fools. Five, believe life is all about you. Six, live for immediate gratification. Seven, avoid accountability. Now, that's advice worth listening to, whether you're 20 years old or however old you are. And while many of those things in that list are related to idolatry, we can make it even more explicit than that, the connection to idols. Let's add number eight to that list. We can add specifically, serve idols as a way to ruin your life. 
And this warning is so needed because falling into idolatry is so easy to do. Our hearts constantly allow people and things to push God out from our minds and from our lives. That's what our sinful hearts are are trying to do, to push God out from our, our minds and our lives. And this is not a problem only we struggle with. It's an age-old problem ever since Genesis 3, the fall. This is what shapes Jeremiah's first prophecy to Israel. In Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah was called by God to serve as prophet. And so the very next chapter, what does he do? His first prophecy, he confronts Israel with their idols. That's Israel's greatest problem. It's also their more, most constant problem. And so he confronts them. He, as he confronts them, he uses the image of a husband and a wife. God is depicted as the husband of his people, and Israel is in marriage covenant with him. And Yahweh, the Lord, says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. Sure, they followed the Lord at first. But it didn't take long before their hearts pulled them astray to other gods. Israel committed adultery pretty much right on the honeymoon. Just think of the golden calf shortly after God made his covenant with Israel. And from then on, Israel's history was a sad story of idolatry. Now, even sadder than this, this is not just Israel's story, but the story of fallen humans in rebellion against God. And you know what? It can describe our lives also. You see, everyone in the world, doesn't matter who they are, everyone in the world is worshiping something or someone. And that's because this is about ultimate things in your life. It's about your ultimate love, your ultimate driver and motivator, your ultimate purpose, your ultimate goals, ultimate reason for doing the things that you do. It's about why, in the end, you go to work, why you live life as you do. And these ultimate loves and ultimate values, they affect everything. They affect your relationships, why you seek certain relationships, and how you behave in them. These ultimate things affect your view of money and how you treat it. It affects your entertainment choices, pursuing things like academic excellence or athletic achievement or pretty much anything. And let's be clear, everyone has an ultimate in their heart and in their lives that they live for. We can't get away from that fact. We are all looking for something to give us ultimate purpose and meaning to make life worth living. So we must understand this fact. Ultimate goals, values, and loves control our decisions and ultimately control our lives. So be on guard and watch your heart again. Our hearts can so easily use things and people to push out God from our minds and our lives. If you don't watch your heart, idols can easily take over. 
And this guarding is necessary, not only because idolatry is so easy to fall into, but also because it's so damaging. This is how idolatry deceives us. It deludes us into thinking that serving something else instead of the Lord is going to be worth it. Meanwhile, in the end, it will only bring emptiness and harm. We're going to see how this works a little bit. You see, your ultimate love or your object of worship will require service from you. That's unavoidable. Whether it's money or fame or recognition from people or whatever you have, your ultimate love, purpose, or goal requires service and sacrifice. It will take your time, attention, energy, money, you name it. And while we may gain a measure of pleasure from certain idols, in the end... All those things cannot bear the weight of standing in the place of God. They can't deliver on the promise of ultimate fulfillment in the end. They will leave us empty. That's why the Lord says what He does in Jeremiah 2. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. And this is how idolatry deludes us. It causes us to turn from the one, the one God, who can give us true joy and ultimate fulfillment. And then we pursue things as gods that will only leave our souls thirsty. I've heard one preacher describe this image of broken cisterns in Jeremiah 2 like this. He said, people without God are constantly trying to find ultimate satisfaction in all kinds of things. But it's like trying to drink water from a cup that's filled with holes. They lift the cup to their lips to get a refreshing drink. But before the water touches their lips, it all runs out of the cup, leaving them parched. And so idols will never satisfy in the end. Surely that is the truth. Christian pastor and author Tim Keller, he illustrates this very thing when writing on the problem of sin. And he writes, A life not centered on God leads to emptiness. Building our lives on something besides God not only hurts us if we don't get the desires of our hearts, but also if we do. You see, few of us get all of our wildest dreams fulfilled in life. And therefore, it is easy to live in the illusion that if you were as successful, wealthy, popular, or beautiful as you wished, you would finally be happy and at peace. That just isn't so. And he cites a Village Voice column by author Cynthia Heimel. She thought back on all the people she knew in New York City before they became famous movie stars. 
One worked behind the makeup counter at Macy's. One worked selling tickets at a movie theater and so on. But when they became successful, every one of them became more angry, manic, unhappy, and unstable than they had been while they were working hard to get to the top. Why was that the case? Well, Heimel writes, that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything in life okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to fill them with happiness, it had happened. And the next day they woke up and they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And that is the very thing Jeremiah 2 is talking about. With broken cisterns that cannot hold living water. Cups with holes in them. As you try to get a drink, the water drains away before you can satisfy your thirst. You see, even if you do achieve fame and world recognition through all kinds of achievements, it may seem like you've lived the dream But without God, or or the higher purpose that comes from God, what does it all mean in the end? When you're on your deathbed, what good is it that you did all those things? Does it have any meaning if you don't have the Lord in your life? Sure, people may remember you and what you did for a time, perhaps. What about what happens to you? None of what you did in life can help you escape death. And then what? All of those things are gone and over. That's what happens if you gain the thing that you craved. It can't help you in the end. And if you can't obtain the thing that you're living for, it only results in a tortured soul of what-ifs and bitterness and regrets. So we need to see it, beloved. Idolatry seems to offer so much, but it's just punishing in the end. And the consequences are enormous. You see, idols will do something to you. They will change you into their image. The Bible tells us the hard truth that you become like what you worship. Jeremiah 2 puts it like this, where the Lord says, What wrong did your fathers find in me, says the Lord? They went far from me. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. You become like what you worship. We saw the same thing in Psalm 115, which we sing. There we sing about how idols, they don't have ears that hear. They cannot see. They are deaf and dumb. And it says, their makers will, like them, grow deaf and dumb. And so will all who trust in them. When we pursue idols, we will not be able to see the world rightly or the glory of God in this life. You see, idols... Again, they cannot bear the weight of standing in the place of the one true God. 
No other person or thing is life-giving as God is life-giving. No other person or thing is powerful enough to be God. Nothing is perfect as God is perfect. No one or nothing is faithful like the Lord is faithful. And the list goes on. And that's why if you have something in your life that's taking the place of God, it's going to let you down in the end. To quote Tim Keller, writing on the problem of sin again, he writes, Suppose my God is sex or my physical health or a particular political party. If I experience any of these under genuine threat, then I feel myself shaken to the depths. Guilt becomes neurotically intensified to the degree, to the degree that I've idolized finite values. For example, suppose I value my ability to teach and communicate clearly. If clear communication has become an absolute value for me, a center of value that makes all other values valuable, then if I fail in teaching well, I am stricken with neurotic guilt. And bitterness becomes intensified when someone or something stands between me and my ultimate value. See, if anything threatens your identity that you have made the center of your life, you will not be just anxious when that is threatened, but you will be paralyzed with fear. For the very center of your core of your being is at stake. And if you lose your identity through the failings of someone else, you will not just be resentful, but locked into bitterness. And if you lose it through your own failings, You will hate or despise yourself as a failure as long as you live. Idolatry is punishing. Can you see the damage that it causes when we put things or people in the place of the Lord? As God says in Jeremiah 2, Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. Idols promise much but they can't deliver. So don't be fooled by the lure of idolatry. That brings us to the second point. Now, in opposition to idolatry, there is a life of soul-satisfying service to God. That is what we're going to focus on next. And to quote Jeremiah 2 again, remember these words, God is the fountain of living waters. What is he teaching us by those words? He's teaching his people. I am the source of true life and ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And you can't find it in any other place but me. And the first reason why only the Lord deserves our devotion is because only the Lord can truly save. Israel had forsaken God. But then, of course, trouble arose, as it always does. And when that happened, finally they called out to the Lord. What did the Lord say? Why are you calling to me? You have forsaken me. Call out to the other gods you have chosen to serve. Let them help you and save you. But we know the problem. Those other gods can't save, can they? And that's what we need to see. 
We cannot serve two masters. And so when we serve idols, we inevitably forsake the Lord. Things might seem to be going well for a while, but it's unavoidable that trouble will come. And then what? Maybe it's the general brokenness of the world that comes on our path. Maybe it's trouble caused by the idol itself. And in the end, we all need saving from death. And when we are faced with those moments, the God we choose to serve has huge consequences. The pleasure of idolatry melts away when suffering comes. They cannot save you from suffering and death. Only the Lord ultimately can do this. And the Lord does save His people. While He certainly doesn't spare us all suffering in this life, He has promised to remove it completely in the life to come. And He will save us out of every trouble in the end. And this is true because God already gave His very own Son to save us. Think about that. What God gave us, His very own Son. What idol or false god that you can worship could possibly, we could possibly make up in our minds would do something like that. So we see the one true God is so generous. He is so gracious. Look what He did giving His only Son to suffer and die in your place, to save you from an eternity of suffering and death. Don't you see how good He is? Why would we not serve this God, the God who saves? No idol is going to do anything close to what the Lord God has done. It's not even a contest. You know what idols do? They only drag us into slavery. But God is the one who has served us in Jesus Christ. God's Son, Jesus Christ, He's the God who came to serve and to save us, the opposite of idols. And He saved us not so that we can simply go our own way or pursue idols again, but He saves us also so that we might become supremely satisfied in the one true God only. Remember, God, the triune God, is a fountain of living waters. So He can satisfy your soul. And this is a theme found not only in Jeremiah 2, but in other places of Scripture. For example, in John 4, the Lord Jesus speaks with a Samaritan woman at a well. And he likewise describes himself to this woman as the fountain of living waters. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the woman responded by asking Christ to give her this living water. Now in that chapter, the Lord Jesus does not specifically answer her question. Instead, he first points out the cause and the symptoms of her spiritual thirst. 
she has had five husbands already. And the man she was not actually married to, the man she was, or the man she was now with, was not actually her husband. She has been seeking fulfillment in relationships, but has constantly failed to achieve it. Christ, in this chapter, is working to remove her spiritual thirst. And He does this by pointing her to Himself as the source of eternal life and eternal well-being. And the woman does find true joy when she comes to know Jesus Christ and His saving work. And why is that? Well, when you have eternal life in Christ, you found life in Christ, all of your deepest needs are met for an eternity. You have security for the future. Your sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a restored relationship with your Creator and your Maker, the God of the universe. And you no longer need to fear death, and so on and so on. That's what Jesus Christ gives in His saving work. And these realities in Christ result in a deep sense of peace and and wholeness, again, are Our deepest needs are met in the Lord Jesus. And so no matter what happens in this life, no one can take away eternal life in Christ. That makes makes us secure. And so no matter how much suffering might come down my path, eventually it will end in a life free from all suffering and and we'll go on forever. A life of complete peace. Idols can never offer that. Only the Lord Jesus can. Life in close fellowship with God will become a reality in eternity. And so that's why the Lord Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So by believing in our Lord Jesus Christ, the The desert of sin and death is replaced with a life-giving relationship with God in Christ. And having this sort of healed relationship with the Lord is the key to living free from idolatry. Remember, all your deepest needs are met in Christ. This frees you to now serve the Lord with soul-satisfying service. Are you struggling to find meaning in life? Serve the Lord God who has saved you in Jesus Christ. That service to God has eternal significance and benefit. Are you scared about giving up things for the Lord? Remember what Christ has secured for you. Eternal pleasures at God's right hand. And so, through Christ, you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain by serving God alone. Yes, it might cost you some things in this life, but it's nothing compared to knowing the Lord and being secure in Him and knowing what is coming in eternal life. 
And understand one more thing. Serving the Lord alone, it doesn't mean living a life of somber stoicism. It doesn't mean denying ourselves every possible physical pleasure. But serving the Lord fixes our, our vision of this world. It makes us see that God is the source of everything good. See, the problem is not in created things themselves, but what we do with them, how we view them. When we enjoy them without reference to God, without thanksgiving, we try to remove God as a source of our joy and our enjoyment. We start to see created things as a source of joy rather than the one who made them and generously gives them. That will never work. The gospel of Christ fixes our vision. God is the source of every good thing. As those saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to regain that focus and make Him always the center of our lives. Amen.